So this morning we had two reflections on how important Psalm 23 has been uh, in both Judy and Lynn's life. It is one of those beautiful psalms that if you've learned something off by heart from the Bible, it's probably this. Uh, It's one of those psalms that's been preached on many, many times. It's one of those psalms that's often used at funerals. Now, the Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, has said of this psalm that it's almost pretentious to comment on Psalm 23. Why is that? Because it's one of the most popular psalms in history. It's been preached on and written about so, so many times over the centuries. So it is slightly daunting and a privilege that I get to preach on it this morning. But I don't want us to check out or think that we've heard it all before with Psalm 23. Honestly, you may have heard a very similar message to what I'm about to bring today because I'm not here to bring some fresh retelling of Psalm 23. What I'm here to do is to bring us back to the beautiful, timeless principles that are found in this passage and to remind us again to draw close to a God who cares. And my prayer this morning for us all is that through the Holy Spirit, Christ will speak afresh to you this morning. Well, there's this beautiful story. At a religious meeting, there were two readings of Psalm 23. Oh my goodness, we've totally forgotten that Christina was going to be... Come on out, Christina. A round of applause for Christina that I'd forgotten to invite out. (laughs) Christina has been uh, drawing along and bringing a creative interpretation to uh, this series, the Filling the Slate of My Life series. And so today is week four. Let me give you a hand with this. (coughs) So uh, Christina will be joining us this morning to draw along with the sermon to give another interpretation to Psalm 23. So back to our story. It's a religious meeting and there are two readers of the 23rd Psalm. One is a young actor, his uh, professed, a young actor who possessed beautiful, dramatic voice and presented the first reading of Psalm 23. He read the Psalm with great skill. It was a wonderful thing to behold, and the crowd reacted with a thunderous applause afterwards. The second reader was an older woman. She came up to the podium a lot like this with the help of her cane. She recited the psalm haltingly. Her voice was weak and it cracked at the end of long sentences. But there was such meaning in her words. Every wrinkle in her careworn face radiated the meaning of the familiar scripture. The crowd reacted with awed silence. The young man then returned to the podium with a tear in his eye, needing to explain. He told the crowd, I know the words of that great psalm. I recited them well. No one could read them better. He's humble, isn't he? But this woman, she knows more than the words. She knows the shepherd. See, this woman, she knows the shepherd not as some idea, not as some figure, 
not as something distant. She knows the shepherd intimately. So I want to start today by drawing our attention to this because I think it's what this psalm is trying to tell us, is trying to draw our attention to. There is a very beautiful pattern in this psalm that we see in the original language. Now, excuse me as we Bible geek out for just 20 seconds top. I'll show you. You don't have to read it, but there's a slide. There's a symmetrical pattern to this psalm. In the Hebrew, we have 26 Hebrew words on one side and 26 Hebrew words on the other side. And it's kind of pointing you to the very centre, like this big blaring arrow saying, this is the focus. Look at this. And in English, that sentence translates to, you are with me, or in the King James Version, thou are with me. If we want to boil it down even further, the very centre word is you. Not as in you or you or me, as in God. God is the focus of this psalm. God who draws close to us. Now, this psalm has two images for this God that we're going to explore today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the first image of uh, the good shepherd. And then secondly, we're going to move to this image of the banquet that's presented. And thirdly, we're going to explore uh, what this psalm means in our lives and what it means for us and God and us as a community. And I'll leave us with a bit of a practical invitation. So let's jump in and explore the first image of God that we get in this psalm. Now, it's a rural one. It's a farming one. Who here grew up out of the city? Did anyone grow up on a farm? Oh, we have some hands. Wonderful. Well, not me. I grew up very, very close to the city. I don't even think they had trains running where I lived. They just assumed we could walk into the CBD. So I can sometimes get a little bit lost with these agricultural terms. They can go over my head. But the first one here that we get of God is, as we spoke of earlier, as a shepherd. Now, this is not a new thing to us. We know that throughout the New Testament, the writers and Jesus himself name God as the, New Test the good shepherd, and Jesus names himself as the good shepherd. Well, let's have a little think about shepherds. We think, especially coming off Christmas, we think of them as lowly, as the grunt workers, as the messy workers, but also as leaders and as carers for the flock of sheep, for, for the little ones. However, in ancient times, like when this psalm was written and the people hearing this, it was also a political term. Shepherd was a term used to mean king or sovereign, or lord, or authority, the one who directs, to whom they are answerable, to whom they trust and serve. Therefore, in this very opening line of the psalm today, it's clear that the goal and the focus, the central purpose of the psalmist's life here, is God and no other, no rivalry, no other rivalry for their loyalty, no competing claim. Here we are told that we are answerable to the one and only God. But then it goes on to talk about the character of this shepherd, this leader, this ruler. There would have been bad shepherds in these times and it would have been a term that was thrown around. 
leaders who demand loyalty but treated their subjects like trash. But Psalm 23 paints a picture of a very good shepherd whose loyalty is deserved. It paints a picture of a shepherd who cares, who brings their sheep to quiet waters and green pastures, who doesn't overwork them, who lets them lie down, who brings peace and refreshment and rejuvenation, who guides and doesn't leave or forsake us when we walk through the dark times. So the first image we get here for God is of an authority figure who is kind and who is trustworthy. And when we think about this kind of ruler, I'd like us to reflect on verse 3. This psalm is often preached at funerals and therefore it can sometimes be misunderstood to be talking exclusively about afterlife, that the darkness that we walk through in the valley is death and then the good shepherd guides us through to the next home. But that's not entirely what this psalm is about. The psalm is actually about living. This psalm is about life. And that's why it's part of the Filling the Slate of Our Life series. In verse 3, when we talk about this ruler, a God who refreshes our soul, soul might not be the best translation of the word. It's one of those great examples when in the English language, as beautiful as our language is, it doesn't quite have a word that can encompass the original Hebrew word that was used in the psalm. The word used here was nefesh. You guys can try say it if you want. Nefesh? Yeah. Now let me explain why we lose some of the specialness with this word. In our culture, we can often think of the body, this thing that we're in, and the soul as separate. The soul is kind of contained in the body. Like our body is a little jar, and when we die, we pop open the lid and the soul can go somewhere else in the body, or the jar stays here. But nefesh has a very different connotation to our idea of soul. Nefesh is the whole person, all of us together. It's possibly better identified as a tangled up ball of yarn. Our soul and our body and everything together, everything that makes us who we are. It encompasses the whole of our being, the whole of our life, our experiences, our body, our faith, our spirit, our mind, our emotion, our feelings, our expression of that. All that God has created us to be is the nefesh. Therefore, when it says the shepherd refreshes my soul, it can literally mean the shepherd refreshes my whole life or the shepherd resurrects and makes my life new. That wherever we are right now, we can come to Jesus, the good shepherd, to be refreshed and to be rejuvenated. This is a psalm about life with the shepherd. This is a psalm about living. It is a psalm about a God who is amongst us in life. That then brings us to the central line that we talked about before, 
For you are with me, that God is with us. We then shift to a new image in this psalm of a banquet, of God as a host of a banquet. When we see this shift, we also see that the person praying this psalm no longer talks about God in the third person. We see the psalmist talk directly to God now, like he knows God intimately. This brings a language of familiarity and intimacy, which then allows the psalmist to start talking in the first person. The psalm says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This image of anointing with oil is not what we might think of as a little bit of oil on the head. No, it is like this intimate sort of drenching someone in oil that they would do. They'd get it all in their hair. It's not something that you do to just anyone. It was a familial act. They would drench a person in oil and rub it in. It was messy. It's messy to touch someone in that way. In ancient Israel, which is the context of our psalm, anointing wasn't just for anyone. It was reserved for priests, the holy people, and kings, the authoritative people. This is something then that the psalm communicates to us, saying, you and I, we're not only in an intimate sort of family relationship that I'd get oil up in your hair, but I wish to bless you like you are someone very, very important. Then the psalm goes on to say, my cup overflows. This is the idea that the host that God has been so generous, not just to fill the cup and to meet the needs, but to let it overflow. How beautiful is that? That when we get this image for today's sermon title, that the the title is, what are we filling our cup with? Well, that might be a slightly misleading title because it's not really about what we're filling our cup with this year. It's more about, are we bringing our cup to the banquet table? Are we allowing God to meet our needs, not just meet them, but abundantly provide, to have our cups overflow? We then find this statement in verse 6 of divine trust, that surely the goodness of the host, the love of the host, will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist is saying that this is my host. This is my host, not just for one day when the host feels like having me in their home, but I am welcome here in this home forever. I can dwell and live in this home and be provided for every single day of my life. So in summary, we've got two images for God here. Over here, we have God as the good shepherd, as a divine ruler who is deserving of our loyalty, not just because of the royalty or the authority or because of his crown, but because God is with us, because God is good, because God is faithful, because God is caring. Therefore, God as ruler deserves our loyalty, deserves us to have some type of reverence and respect for him.
The second image we have over here is of a God who is intimately close to us, who is hospitable, who is hosting us, who is making a banquet and a home for us, fulfilling all of our needs in our lives. Someone who comes to touch and intimately know us at our core. Not as we ought to be, not as we hope to be, not as others would have us be, but as we are. This God of authority who cares for us and this God of intimacy who meets our needs. So with that being said, I have an invitation for you all today. If God is as I have described over the past 10 minutes, if God is as the Psalm 23 describes, as someone who wants to draw close to you, wants to chase you down with abundant love and meet all of your needs, do you want to draw close to God? As you fill the slate of your life this year, do you want to draw close to God in a way that fills your cup? If the answer this morning is yes, then it's all about relationship, our relationship with God. Now, if you ask any relationship counsellor what the key to a good relationship is, they're going to say trust and communication. And that's what these psalms are all about. The Psalms are songs. The Psalms are prayers that have been used not only by the Israelites in the Old Testament, but throughout the centuries by followers of Christ to connect with God, to have conversations and communicate with God. They are part of the living, breathing, holy scripture. So as we approach this year, I want us to think about how we can use the Psalms to draw us to God, into a trusting and intimate relationship with God. Now, as you might know, there are many genres of psalms. There's psalms of lament, there's psalms of praise. Today's psalm was of trust, prayed by someone who is completely devoted to the Lord and feels the refreshment of God. But I want to name that that might not be where you're sitting today. And I want to be transparent and open with you that it's not always where I am either. I am not always praying the Psalms of trust. It might be where I am intellectually, but sometimes it is not where I am in the spiritual or mental sort of space. And I'll admit that when Pastor David gave me this Psalm to preach on last year, I sat with it for a while. It's a privilege I have only preaching about once a month that I get to sit with the scripture for a month or so before I write a sermon. So as I sat with this psalm, one night as I was praying out these promises of a God who draws near, of a God who is trustworthy, I wasn't experiencing that. It doesn't mean it wasn't true. It was definitely true but it was not my experience on that day. And so I prayed and I prayed over these promises and I felt rather than myself being refreshed, I felt myself getting mad and I felt myself getting angry because I knew 
I should say, intellectually, I knew God's promises. Intellectually, I knew how good God had been in my life and the lives of others. But it's not what I was experiencing. There was a dissonance between belief and experience for me. I was in a place of a spiritual dryness. I was tired. It was a busy time of year. And I was coming off the back of having COVID. I was fatigued. And I think I was probably the only one on staff at the time because we had some people go away. Things were not going as I had planned or I had uh, planned or had felt they would go in my life. And so I felt myself crying out to God and saying, why can't I feel this refreshment? Why can't I feel that resurrection that you, my Lord Jesus, promise? Why do I feel the opposite of refreshed in my nefesh today? And I didn't stay there, but I was definitely there for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. So I want to name that if you, <coughs> pardon me, if you are in that space today, that you know that you're not alone, that you are not unusual, that you are not unfaithful. I guarantee that everyone in this room has been there at some point, maybe for an hour, a week, some people for years but they keep showing up in faithful obedience even when it's not quite sitting with them. So I invite you to put down this morning any self-judgment. Receive that grace that Jesus Christ gives. Part of our Christian journey, part of living the Christian life is that there are ebbs and flows. There are dark valleys and there are green pastures. There will be times that you are required to float rather than swim against the current. There is a reason we call it faith and not certainty. There is a reason you don't come on a Sunday morning and we just transplant certainty into your minds. It's not how God designed us to be. It would be lovely if it was, but it's not. Now, in the light of us all being in different places today when it comes to faith and trust and relationship with God, I want to share with you a very, very simple way of viewing the Psalms and of using these Psalms this year. Now, that Old Testament scholar that I spoke about at the very start of the sermon, he, um, and it's, it's very popular, popular now uh, that other scholars have agreed with this pattern, he has come up with a pattern of cat- categorising the Psalms and bringing them uh, to our Christian life and journey. He suggests that we regularly find ourselves in one of three places. First is a place of orientation in which everything makes sense in our lives. Second, we have is a place of disorientation in which we feel like we have sunk into a pit. And then there is this place of new orientation in which we realise that God has been faithful, that God has lifted us up out of the pit and we're in this new place full of gratitude and awareness about our lives and God, and we have this trust. Now, Brueggemann suggests that the Psalms generally match those places and that there are Psalms of orientation, disorientation and new orientation. Recognising this pattern of organisation can help us in all the days of our lives, and I'm inviting you to let it help you this year 
to see where does it fit in your walk of faith with Christ? How does it help you to communicate? Seen in this way, the Psalms bring to speech the wonder and the risk that must be voiced candidly in every season of life, both for those in the Old Testament and us today in the 21st century. The gospel story of a, as the whole mirrors this pattern. Orientation, Jesus' initial teaching and ministry. Disorientation, Jesus' passion and death. And then finally, new orientation of resurrection and new life. As both the psalmist and the gospel writers affirm, that new orientation, that resurrection, can only be had by travelling through disorientation. There is no shortcut through pain in our lives. And unfortunately, remaining oriented towards God is not our only experience as Christians. One day it will be. One day this life, after this life, when we go to be with God, it will be a constant Psalm 23. But not right now. Rather, not unlike the Israelites of the Old Testament or the disciples of the New we go through sometimes extended seasons of feeling disorientated in our relationship with God. So here's my practical invitation to you today. I invite you to a place of refreshment, a place of grace with God, just as Psalm 23 does. I'd like to invite you to know the Good Shepherd anew this year our hospitable God. And to use all of the Psalms, or 150 of them, as ways to communicate honestly with God. When you don't have the words yourself, use the Psalms. Embrace their patterns. Let them guide your prayer life. And we're going to start right here today. Honestly ask yourself, or maybe even ask the Holy Spirit to show you where am I situated today? Am I in a place of orientation, disorientation or new orientation? Now we're going to have another song here at the end. No worship band today. But I invite you during that to come forward. There is a table here at the front. There's also a table in the back section there. And they have listed three different types of psalms. There's three piles there of orientation, disorientation and new orientation. I invite you to take one wherever you're sitting today and go and look that psalm up this week and use it as a basis for your communication with God.